Welcome. You are about to enter the Wooniverse. In five, four, three, two, one. Transport complete. Come inside a mystical, magical portal between worlds. Angels are like alchemists. They can transmute dark energy into power. Where playful curiosity leads the way and beyond. And fire is that quality of dynamism, passion, adventure. You won't believe the ahas that come up in every single conversation. When everybody wins, happy money pours in. I can't wait to explore this enchanting space with you. But if we don't take that journey, we don't evolve into the person that is really capable of fulfilling the dream and the vision. Inside the Wooniverse, a podcast coming to you from the corner of Fringe and Maine. Hi there, and welcome to Inside the Wooniverse, a podcast brought to you from the corner of Fringe and Maine. I'm your host, Colette Baron-Reed, and joining us today is one of my most favorite people. He is a money and happiness expert, Ken Honda. Now, Ken is a best-selling self-development author in Japan with book sales surpassing 8 million copies. That's like more, 80 million copies now, right? It's like 80 or 100 million copies. That was only one book sold 8 million copies. And you've had 150 books, so I know how to do math. Anyway, it's a lot. He also has 53 million listeners to his podcast in Japan. So I have a very, very famous person here, and I made him get up early. He's a 7 a.m. in Japan to talk to us here, and he's so great, and I love him to pieces. Now, he is also the first person in Japan to be voted into the Transformational Leadership Council. I am also a member, a new one. And his latest book, which I have read cover to cover, and I have given out to 10 of my friends already, and I have made all the people, all 24 people in my mastermind read, is called Happy Money, the Japanese art of making peace with your money. Welcome to the Wooniverse, Ken. Thank you, Colette. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to be on your show. Ah, I'm so happy. I love your outfit. I love your headset. <laughs> I don't know. It's a custom made. It's so uh, Colette. <laughs> By my husband. Thank you. And of course, you know, Swarovski crystals. And uh, and yes, Mark did that all by himself, one at a time. I think. It's a lot of work. I know. A lot of work. I know. A lot of love, And now too. they're all falling off and he won't do it. He won't fix it for me. So, oh, well. <laughs> okay, Ken, uh, your book, Happy Money, really impacted me. And I have taken a course of yours, too, at Mind mm-hmm. Valley. And, Thank you. And I'm going to say that you are one of the most compassionate and fun and simple yet super deep teachers about prosperity and abundance in our modern world today. And I really do think you are the person to follow right now. And I'm so happy that Happy Money has now come to North America. And it's in English because, you know, I know how huge you are in Japan, but I do think that we need what you have to say now. I couldn't put the book down. But Before we get to that, I want to talk about how the heck you got into this. I want to know about your childhood. What was it like for you growing up in Japan? And what did you learn about abundance and prosperity and money growing up? So I have uh, seen interesting history of Japan. I think I I grew up in a beautiful neighborhood in Kobe, which is uh, west side of uh, Japan. And uh, uh, we're a sister of a uh, sister city of Seattle. Oh. So you got the idea. You know, it's beautiful port city and uh, our house is on the top of the hill. 
My father was a very successful, wealthy business person, and、uh, he was running the top accounting firm, started from nothing to the top、um, in, in his industry. So he started teaching me with tough love, like he's a master of karate, fencing, and all sorts of martial arts. He, he wanted to be a modern samurai. So、uh-huh. he,、uh, he started to educate me that way. So he started teaching me about money and, and business since I was five or six. So,、uh, I, and I loved、uh, learning from him because his teaching was so practical. He used to take me to a shopping mall and ask me which one is making most money. So I was seeing, you know, witnessing all the people go in and shop and out. And I saw a fish market、uh, attracted a lot of people a lot of fish, cash, you know, busy, busy. Uh, active energy. So I said,、uh, that, and I said, good point, but think about it, you know,、uh, it costs very little. So、uh, just look at the store right next to it. There's a futon place, it's a mattress store. You know, you, you see mattress store all over the US and there's no customers, right? And we wonder how they stay in business. Right. My, my father said,、uh, even if you make 100 fish, you make the same amount of profit when you make one sale with a mattress. And oh, wow, that's wow. And then he asked me to look at the store right next to that. It's a real estate agent. And he said, if you make a one sale of a, a big house,、uh, your entire family can live out for a few months or a year. So you don't need to make a sale every, every day. And so he started teaching me about the profit margin and all that by quoting all the practical ideas. So I didn't go to business school. But I had almost like a similar knowledge by the age 10. Right. So I thank my, I appreciate my father for giving me so much education early on. So,、um, do you remember when you were introduced to money as the energy of money? You teach a lot about that. You are truly a spiritual teacher, even though you're a practical money teacher. So, I know how to read this. It's like I know exactly you're talking about energy all the time and about love and about abundance. So, when was it where you first realized that this was a very important part of the exchange? Of currency? So I have had so many experiences. You know, one awakening opened another door. So,、um, like,、uh, my father used to take his clients on、uh, weekends to our home, which was not so unusual. So I used to be a tea delivery person, boy, for his <laughs> clients. And I, asked, I used to harass my father's clients with. Difficult jargons like, what is your ROE, sir? <laughs> and then, you know, like you don't expect、uh, a, like eight or eight year old boy asking you tough you know, questions <laughs> because they're already nervous with my father. <laughs> and then I just、uh, look at the shift in energy、mm-hmm. with adult people. You know, I could intimidate somebody. You know, I was small. So I had so much fun. And what's interesting was like, I, I just grew up with them, right? So、um, after five years or 10 years, he, he, they used to come by bicycle or on foot. But a few years later, the, like an uncle figure who used to look shabby in, in my childhood eyes, well, he was driven by a chauffeur car. And then, oh, like、uh, his life has changed. So I've seen、mm-hmm. people go up and down、uh, with money. And then, Uh, some people got very arrogant, and I could see that as a, as a child. You know, they used to treat,、uh, treat us like 
bodies. But now they're right. like, you know, uh, like big people. Right. So I've seen the changes of people and the energy with money and uh, uh, interesting changes influence my father's client's life. And uh, did you ever create, because I know that in Japanese culture, um, you have many gods, goddesses, and deities that, right, that relate to different, like, things. Mm -hmm. Like, is there a spirit of -hmm. of money or a god of money, right? Yeah, so uh, my father said, may sound a little bit superstitious, uh, money has a spirit in in the coins and papers. So you have to show respect. So he used to iron the money, you know, and he used to ask us to iron the money. So uh, make all, all the creases go away and literally cleanse the money in a basin, right? And then uh, wash it with our soap so it becomes clean. So, and I call it happy money laundry now, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> we clean it. And so uh, what he wanted to teach us is that you can clean the money because it's got dirty energy. And he said, lots of greed comes with money. So uh, you have to cleanse it and then release it. I think it's the, the very beginning of my happy money idea. That's very interesting when you think about that. That, I mean, he obviously taught you literally that you'd wash the money with soap and whatever, and, and which I think is fascinating. But to instill that in your mm-hmm. mind and by him saying too that there was greed in the money right. and that you need it, you could cleanse it and make it more, if we were to look at it like energy, to make the energy more neutral mm-hmm. first, right? right, And so that you can then infuse it with an intention, which is what you teach, really. The happy money is about, you know, how do you feel? What's your story around your money? So tell me how you started to think in terms of storytelling when it comes to money. So I have many stories around money since I was uh, five or six, because I've seen more than uh, regular people would see in a few years. Uh, I've seen my father's clients go up and down. And the biggest story is that my father's client committed suicide. Uh, he was his, uh, my father's best friend. And I remember um, them visiting us. You know, uh, they had two kids. So uh, he committed suicide. Uh, but before that, he killed the entire family of four and then committed suicide. That's called family suicide. Wow. There's a term for that. And uh, it happened. Uh, and I still remember the day uh, when I came home from school, my father was crying like a baby. He's not sobbing. He was literally crying. And I've never seen an adult uh, man cry mm-hmm. in public. But that's the first time I learned the term family suicide. You know, uh, it happened to save the shame uh, and disgrace of bankruptcy from the family. Wow. You know, uh, it sounds so crazy, but at the time, it was like a, a honorable thing to do. Mm. So it happened so so many times, and uh, so that thing was on the even newspaper. And uh, my father had to be in charge of the funeral of four, which really put me in a miserable situation. He got into depression afterward, and he was he went into alcohol. Abuse, and then uh, my family was a happy family. We are singers, you know. We are uh, uh, musicians, right? So whenever there was a, a family party, my brother and I sang, and my sister played the piano, and my father, who wanted to be the next Elvis of Japan, 
he always wore white and then just like yeah. Elvis. <laughs> and uh, we're a happy family. And, and then after that, no music, you know, uh, he stopped playing. Mm. So it was a um, sad moment, I think, that not only he killed the entire family of four, but I think uh, indirectly he killed the spirit of a happy family. Right. That must have been terribly, terribly tragic. I know when my dad lost um, all our family's mm-hmm. money in a bad business deal, he was 75, mm-hmm. and it wasn't his fault. I mean, it was a series of uh, just of things that happened, and one of his partners committed suicide after. Yes, I know that. It's, it's hard. So it's a very hard thing, and I mean, my dad never recovered either, so I know what that's like of going from you know, the relationship that we have to money and security and abundance and prosperity and the lack of that and the fear and the shame, uh, it, it's, it touches people in a way that is very destructive. It can yes. be. But so how do we turn this around and how do we at least begin with a relationship to money that is cleansed, for example? Yeah, so I wanted to make sure since I was nine or 10, I will have money, no matter what, to make my family secure. Mm-hmm. So that is the number one thing I, I made up my mind. And also the second thing is, like, I wanted to have a remedy for my father. Is there any cure to stop him from drinking? Right. And I wanted to find uh, some kind of medicine. And later on, it led me to study about psychology and human psyche, about and also Zen, uh, what disturbs your mind, what doesn't how you can find peace and keep it. Mm-hmm. So that kind of spiritual journey started, I think, on that spot. And I've seen many great masters and teachers in Japan and overseas and learn about how to look at your life and how to look at your minds and heart mm-hmm. and uh, how to calm down. That's what I learned. Wow. So um, how do you think Japanese culture views money differently than Western cultures? Because I know that you don't have a problem talking about money. It's such a taboo thing in the mm-hmm. West. It's like we really don't behave the same way. And I want to hear how, how that all differs, because I think it's a really interesting topic. Yes, I think in Asia, money is a more casual subject, especially a culture like Korea and China, people ask you questions like, how tall are you? Or how much do you weigh? <laughs> and uh, I one time uh, in Chinese uh, conference, one student stood up and said, how much did you make last year? <laughs> right. And probably you don't get that kind of questions in North America, right? And no, I, no. It's like people are awkward. Yes. Yeah. And also at a college re- reunion uh, a few years back, uh, we just casually um, talk about how much we make, you know, and then if somebody is making more money, okay, this drink is uh, is on you. So we're just casual about that. <laughs> like, oh, that's great. I'm so happy for you. Of course, there's some jealousy and stuff like that. But in general, uh, we often, uh, if you're close, you know, you, you talk about that too. But in North America, even among your, you know, best friends, you don't talk about uh, certain things. But what's interesting anthropologically is that uh, sexual issues is more taboo in Japan. And in North America, right. like any guy would talk about his sexual life openly, but right. not as much as your financial life. So it's, it's interesting. You right. know, it's a different <laughs> field. So you can shock Japanese businessmen about his sexual life <laughs> or social life. Right. You know, if you are uh, asked about your financial life, you can embarrass <laughs> each other by asking 
that kind of question. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I, you know, as I was reading your book, you were really kind of clear about, and I was seeing it. Oh yeah, this is so interesting culturally. And yet there is this truth is this energy and happiness doesn't matter what culture you come from. Yes. You and know, it's, it, it's, yes. it's global. And I know that's why your book is now so popular everywhere. Tell me about the concept of arigato money and how it can improve one's relationship with money. Uh, you're, I, I, I love you, Colette, for asking me so many great questions to the point. Okay, good. You know, uh, <laughs> why would you ask Warren Buffett if you have like a 30-second private time, you know, with him? What would I ask? Yes. Oh, if I had 30 seconds with Warren Buffett. Yes. Uh, could I get a download of his brain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I had this uh, great opportunity to meet uh, Warren Buffett of Japan, who is uh, Wahei Takeda. Later on, he became my mentor. And uh, there are so many people. So I had like 10, 15 seconds, right, at most. And um, I, I said, what is the secret of money? Oh. You know, I, that is the deepest question I could think of at the time when I was younger. And then he said, arigato your money. And then I got pushed out from somebody else from behind. Like, arigato my money? And right. It's so confusing. And then I started thinking, thank my money. How can I appreciate my money? Mm -hmm. Does that mean I should enjoy it? And does that mean that I should welcome it? And later on, a few months later, I had another opportunity to talk with him a little bit deeper. And he said, appreciate your money both coming in and going out. Right. As long as you appreciate it, it appreciates. Mm -hmm. Literally, if you just enjoy, embrace money and appreciate it, more money will come because money has a certain secret uh, code that they talk to each other at night. You know, Colette <laughs> is a beautiful person. You know, when you go there, you can be a shiny thing on the headset. Don't you want to go there? <laughs> yeah, I want to. Don't you want to go to Colette? I love, That's I love the idea. So yeah. think about it. This is fun. It's like a toy story. Right. And then, a secret uh, little gossip about each other. Okay, I think I should go visit Colette. So I'll be having so much fun. Because if you go visit somebody else, it will be stored in a boring safe, you know. It's like no fun. <laughs> so money will go to a place where action is. So that's why, uh, you yeah. know, a, a great shopping malls or the airport where there are a lot of actions. There's a lot of uh, uh, chi energy going through. Mm-hmm. So that's what Wahe meant. So in simplest language, appreciate your money is his uh, secret. And he does that at least 3,000 times. And then when something happens, he says, arigato. When you, uh, your assistant serves you a cup, cup of tea, he says, arigato. When somebody comes in, arigato. When he sees something so beautiful, he says, arigato. I hear his arigato like five or 10 times Almost like mantra. And it means thank you, right? Arigato? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then when he walks, uh, he he just talks to himself, arigato, 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 arigato. So <laughs> for him, appreciation is the way he, he walks in his life. And he said, if you say uh, arigato 3,000 times, it becomes 1 million times in a year. And if you did, if you did that, uh, he started doing... Arigato Marathon, actually, <laughs> and uh, uh, ask his students to do the same. So all of us had a counter 
you know, each time we say thank you. Oh, and then I love it. It's so fun to count arigato, arigato, arigato. Like, <laughs> I thank you for this great opportunity. I really appreciate your headset. I really appreciate your whole being, you know? So I'm, I'm already appreciating four things, right? <laughs> so you, your mind starts searching for things to appreciate. Right. So it's almost like obsession. Uh, and then that's how he lived. So um, he really enjoyed every second of his life. You know, I, I read a book 37 years ago and I got clean and sober. So I also had alcoholism issues. And uh, I started reading all these books on prosperity and praise. One of the books was by an author named Catherine Ponder, and it was called The Dynamic Laws of Prayer. Mm. And it, she talked about the law of praise, mm-hmm. that when we praise something in advance, mm. we, appra- yeah. we praise it now. We we say thank you. And I, at that point, I started because I had nothing. I had literally literally lost everything and had to start again. And I was writing love letters to my bills, (laughs) you know, like, thank you for allowing me to pay you rent for this fantastic apartment. And that's what I started doing. And I swear to God, it worked. It really worked. Like I never had a lot at that time anyway, but I Mm -hmm. always had what I needed. Always, always. And it came from out of strangest places just by saying thank you. Yes, exactly. That's how it works. And I started practicing it and I've said at least I've impacted a million people because I've written a few books on appreciation and I hope I, I can translate some of them yes. into English. But it's deep philosophical thing. So I thought um, Western people may not appreciate what I what I teach. No, but we want to appreciate this. We, we need it. Yeah, I love to share. Yeah, in the future, yes. And don't you think too, though, you know, just this concept of appreciation and saying thank mm-hmm. you changes our, like if you're in a bad mood and you start to say thank you and appreciate, you can't stay in the bad mood. You're automatically shifted. So this is really energetic cleansing is saying yes. thank you is the detergent, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> For your energy. And then you have the relationship to money. So let's go back to that. So if we talk about um, like people in business, for example, and uh, but anybody, I mean, really, honestly, we all deal with money. We all have to, whether we're in business or not in business, we have to, we make money and then we have to spend it to even for our toothbrush, you know, everything is money. So how can we, I actually think, you know, if we use the concept of arigato, um, we will be able to solve so many problems and save us from so many painful things because people are greedy and they're hoarding and they're seeing differences all the time. So what are some of your ideas about how people today could shift their relationship to money so that, you know, they could have a better relationship and maybe make more? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, it's like climbing the mountains, you know, you can do so many ways. You can uh, climb up from the east or the west or the north or the south. So there are people who try to take advantage of other people and make money. That's one way of doing it. Uh, there's other people who want to entertain people and then earn uh, money. And uh, also there are other people who do what they love and forget about money, but then uh, a lot of uh, their clients and customers just flood to their store with money, with happy money. Or you can do a very boring job and then you get a paid mediocre salary. You know, uh, there's so many different ways uh, in life, but uh, so many, many of us are depressed with money. Right. So uh, we 
We don't believe that we can make money by doing what we love because we tried and it never worked. So uh, we ended up being in a boring uh, life. And, and there's only like five to 10% of people who really enjoy life and do what they uh, love most. So by doing what you love, you can make a lot of people happy and then receive money. Right. Uh, but uh, the tricky part is that you don't know uh, how you do it. And also, I think there is a reserved seat. It's written in your soul, in your heart. You have to find your own seat. Yes. But we want to try to see in a different section. Right. And uh, sometimes uh, take the whole thing wrong. You know, it's a plane ticket, but you try to go on the, in a train. <laughs> you know? Right. And, uh, you know, when you try to sit, uh, have a seat, the conductor would say, sir, you're in the wrong seat. Right. Now, actually... <laughs> You're in the wrong vehicle. Oh, in the wrong <laughs> You're vehicle. You're supposed to be the airplane, right? So I, we do that, though, because our parents thought having a seat in a train is the safest one. You know, if you fly, you're going to crash. So don't ever think of flying, you know. Mm. Or you're in a bus. It's cheaper, you know. Your parents <laughs> say, hey, hey, uh, no train, no plane. It's expensive, you know. Go in a bus. It's the, smart, the safest way. And it's cheap. Right. But that, you know, mom, I can't, I can't go to the place directly. No, 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 no. You can, you know, get off and then change another bus. But it takes longer. But your mom right. said, but it's cheaper. You know, so, right. so there's so many different ways to live life. So you have to come up with the right idea, which kind of life suits you. Right. Because even, you know, you said something earlier about, oh, a person who might have a mediocre job. So I'm mm -hmm. going, I'm going to go back to when I first got clean and sober again, 37 years ago, I was making $25 for a reading. I did tarot mm -hmm. cards and I did mm -hmm. aromatherapy massage and wow. I barely made, oh yeah, there's a big, and now I have 25 employees, right? Big difference. But I, you would have looked at me and you could see I could barely make ends meet but that money was happy money. So mm -hmm. even though it wasn't the greatest at all, and even at the time, because doing readings at the time was very fringe. It was very mm. like, oh, you know, mm. hiding. And people would say, you know, here's a phone number, but nobody talked about it. And so, but even though I was not well off, I felt very wealthy, right? And so I think you know, because when I didn't have anything and I was saying thank you, even before something would happen, you know, I think maybe that's why I got to where I got to now because I've always adopted that. So I think also it's the attitude. I think, I don't know if you'd agree with me, the attitude to where you are, even if it's not where you want to be, right? Like you have to start yes. somewhere. Yes, I agree with you 100%. And if you're in the right position, you know, you feel like this is it. You know, it doesn't really matter how much you get paid. Right. This is where I belong. So your seat is glued to <laughs> your, you know, body. And then you can fly. But unfortunately, we just don't know where to seat. And for you, uh, uh, you're fortunate to be able to find your seat. But, uh, you know, you could be sitting closer to your exact seat. You know, mm -hmm. you could, your, for example, your seat is 3A. But people, people tend to see 5C, you know, right. <laughs> almost, you know, close, but not exactly. So you're doing the same profession, but in the, not in the right angle. Right. Uh, if you just seat the right exact seat, 
uh, a lot of happiness and uh, uh, money and people will just flood in. It's mm-hmm. almost like hitting a jackpot in uh, Las Vegas. That's how I feel when I write a book. I mean, this is so much fun. You know, I enjoy what I write. I, I don't care if people read it or not. I did it for me. I do that with Oracle cards. The right, same. That, I feel yes. the same way. Yes, I'm sure. That's why people love it. <laughs> Unless you love it, yeah. nobody would love it. Yeah. So let me ask you, do you think that, I love this analogy of sitting in the wrong seat, you know, because I think, let's say we're so influenced right now by what we think we should do, you know, Instagram and all these different ways in which we socially are influenced by, so therefore we think we should be this. And, and that actually can, even with business too, I mean, you know, oh, that looks good. I think I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find too that when we do that and we get influenced and we're using our head instead of our heart, mm-hmm. you know, that steers us to the 15th row away from row three, right? right? And then you wonder, why am I not happy? Why is this not working? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes. And uh, if you're in the wrong vehicle, that gives <laughs> you so much depression. You know? right. And because you're looking at the, the other vehicle from the window, I wish I could be on that you know, sports car. Well, I wish I could be flying by now, you know, <laughs> and they're stuck in a bus, you know, very crowded. And then, you know, you, that means that you know where you belong. So when you're complaining about it or when you feel like you're, you're stuck or you're, just, you're boxed in because you are in the wrong seat. Okay, so let's pretend, let's have a person that is sitting in row 15C, but mm-hmm. actually in a bus. Right. Okay, so, and it's supposed to be on 3A in business class in a plane. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so what would you tell that person? You got a chance to go on the bus and go, oh, you're really unhappy, mm-hmm. you're complaining, you're doing, what would you tell them? What are the steps that they would take mm-hmm. in order to get to their correct seat? Yeah, for example, uh, say that I'm enjoying my bus ride in LA with this person right next to me. Okay. And I kind of like, I, I always have find it so much fun to have a chat with a stranger. I always learn yeah. something, especially when I'm in a foreign country. So uh, this buddy and me, I have a little chat here and then he, he says, I'm going to New York. And I said, oh, really? And then if it's a local bus, I would suggest, sir, uh, John, you know, you're, <laughs> you're in the wrong bus. <laughs> I think right. you have to go to the airport or, and then get your plane and then fly to New York. Still, it takes like five or six hours, right? Something like that. And uh, I've done it in, uh, when I was 19. I drove a Greyhound bus. I don't know if there's any Greyhound bus in yeah, North yeah, America. Yeah, yeah, still. Oh, yeah. I had a, like a, a ticket for students. That's like 199. I still remember for like uh, 10 days, and then you can go anywhere uh, for free. So, sir, uh, John, you know, if you want to go uh, change the you know bus stop and take the bus, it takes like four or five days. Uh, it's fun too. And you can change it to Amtrak and may take another day or two too. <laughs> but if you fly, it takes only, you can probably, you know, get to New York by dinner. Which one would you like? So there's always an option. But if you are in the wrong place, it takes forever. 
I'm going to ask you here. So let's go back to that. What mm -hmm. if the person, so we're speaking in metaphors, obviously. Sure. What if the person that you're telling, you know, you can get to there faster if, you know, you have a choice, but they don't feel worthy. Right. So I know you speak about this in your courses and I'd love to hear your ideas about how, because it's not the money that's the problem. Mm -hmm. It's us, right? You talk about that a lot in your work. Right. Let's spend a little bit more time talking about how would you... What would you suggest to that person who says, like, I'm not worthy, I can't get on that? Mm -hmm. So it's, once again, it's passion, you know, how passionate he is about New York. If this guy, John, asked me, uh, Ken, how much do you think it's going to, you know, it's going to cost? Maybe $500, like $1,000? I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, it's, it's a lot. I can't afford it. You know, maybe it, you may not have that kind of money in your, in your wallet, but your friend may or your uncle may, ask around. And he said, no, no, I can't do that. But didn't you say you wanted to go to New York so badly? Yes, maybe I'll call Uncle uh, Uncle Jack and right. ask him about it. And actually, uh, one of my students um, a few years ago, before COVID, he was like 19 and he wanted to go around the world. But he said, I had no money. <laughs> and can, <laughs> how can I go around the world with no money? But I said, do you have passion? He said, yes, I do. Okay, you can turn passion into money. He asked me, how do you do that? Ask 30 adults, grown-ups, to support you $100 a month for the next five months. That means like $500 is, right? And get 30 people commit to that. And then uh, you promise you pay it forward in the future. And uh, just talk about your passion. Why do you want to go around the world at the age 19 and um, talk about your dream, which he did. Really? So a few months later, uh, he came back to my lecture and he, he showed up and he raised his hand. Uh, but he said, Ken, I wanted, I'm here to appreciate you uh, because I got like 40 people committed. So um, I, I think I'm going a little bit longer. Like instead of three <laughs> months, I'm going to go six months. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, you know, the miraculous thing happened after listening this guy talk, there are hundreds of other uh, university kids just follow the same formula. And they went around the world and just text, texted me, sent me uh, all the fun pictures in Rome and Egypt and all kinds of things. So this thing works if you have enough passion. Right. You know, it's an interesting concept because I think about the biggest issues that we have around this subject is when we think, I don't have it. Right. But then you said, yes, but what if you asked for help? Mm -hmm. So oftentimes we think it's all up to us, but then there's there's source or with a big capital S, like God, the universe, I think of the universe. And then you say, you ask the universe, show me who I can talk to. And then you go, like you said, how much passion do you have? I have a lot of passion. And so that translates into exactly the resource that you needed. I had a situation where there was a couple weeks where business had dried up. I didn't get any readings and there was no call for aromatherapy. And I had just paid my rent and paid all my bills. And I just had my little dog and me. And I realized I didn't have enough money for groceries that week. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to do this? So, but I, I started by asking the universe so that for me, it was like the spirit of money, right? So it's like, whatever it, it takes, like, 
I, I only have 25 cents. And no, actually I had more than, I had more than that. I had like $10. Um, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but I learned that you give some away, you help somebody else that has less than you. So I gave some money to this guy on the street that mm -hmm. was, you know, really poor. He was, you know, um, a homeless guy. And I thought, okay, I'm going to gift him with some of this. I'm going to share this. And then I went and bought him, you know, a, a coffee and a donut and whatever. I, I fed him and I gave him some money and I went home and I'm like, well, now I've got less. <laughs> but the next day, the neighbor from down the hallway came with a giant batch of lasagna and had said to me, oh, I'm so sorry I made so much noise the night before, but I have all this extra food. Do you want it? <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, I had the passion to trust in this spirit of the universe's generosity. And so it translated into that. And I've and again, I've taken your courses, I've read your books. You don't speak the same way metaphysically, but your stories are metaphors mm -hmm. of that, of right. that true, right? Of that in themselves. Yeah. So my all my mentors uh, use stories. So that's how I learn. So that's how I teach. Especially uh, Western people ask me, can you teach me more practical things, you know? But you need to learn how to learn from stories because if you can do that, you can learn from uh, what's going on in your life because everything is made of stories. So yep. if you can learn from a little tiny thing that happens in front of your eyes, you can be enlightened. Yeah. So um, that's how I really enjoy uh, teaching people with stories. I love that. Okay, we have to take a little break now. More with Ken Honda, the best-selling author of Happy Money, when we return. So please stay with us. We'll be right back. Thanks for joining us today and welcome back. With us today is Ken Honda, the author of Happy Money. So Ken, my next question is, what advice do you have for people who are struggling with like right now, debt, I mean, there's so much fear around the world and, you know, everybody worrying about the currency, the money, the this, the that, the banks, et cetera. You know, people who are struggling with debt, financial stress, or just the overall feeling of scarcity, mm. what advice would you give them? So I often uh, get questions from people who are in debt. I see dark energy around them and I ask my clients to describe what it's like. So even though they're not spiritual, they say, I feel heavy, dark cl clouds over my head. I feel heavy on my shoulders. And then uh, I ask them, can you describe what that energy is like? And they say, it's a curse. It's a burden. Oh. <laughs> you know, it's ah. like a bad omen. Is that really true? And then I ask them to think of the time when they get a loan. You know, like it could be a student loan or a mortgage. And uh, ask them how they felt. Like, uh, because of the scholarship, you can go to college uh, 10 years earlier than you can. You know, uh, they used to work 10 years and then after you save enough, uh, save up enough money when you're 30, you go to college. But with a scholarship, you can go to college at the age 20. So you don't have to lose 10 years. Is this in Japan? No, it's uh, everywhere in, in North America. Oh, everywhere. Oh, right? North America. Okay. Yeah, like uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago, people needed to save enough money if right, you want to right, go to college, right. there's no no student loans at the time, right? But right. because the student loans, you can do that at the age 20. You don't have to wait 10 years. Like 70 years ago, there's no college loan. So can you appreciate the fact that you can 
experience beautiful time when you were younger? Or do you mm-hmm. want it to wait like 10 years, you know? Because if you're 30, the whole thing could be so different. You're so right. And think of the mortgage. You know, if you just get a loan, you can start living in a gorgeous place. Otherwise, you have to save up for 30 years. And then at the age 60, you could probably afford the house. Right. So you're buying up the whole life full of pleasure and fun with banks' courtesy. Right. And also think about that. You know, they were not really sure if you can pay back all the money, you know, but they trusted in you. They knew or they hope and they believe you are capable of paying back all the money with interest. How cool is that? So actually, sir, what you're feeling is not a burden. It's a trust and love and a prayer placed upon you so you can have beautiful college life. You can have beautiful homes with your while your kids are younger. Your house wouldn't mean much if you reach 60 and then all, all your kids are grown up. So a mortgage or student loan is such a great system of trust and hope and prayer. And he started crying and then, wow, I never thought of that. I never thought my debt is love. And then it totally shifted his idea. And then uh, in appreciation, you can pay back the uh, bank or uh, somebody individual with interest to show how appreciative you are to get so much money in advance. So uh, when you pay back the mortgage, instead of cursing the banks, you can say, oh, thank you, thank you, bank, for giving me uh, such a big amount of money. Thank you, bank, or thank you, uh, student loan, for believing me that I am capable of paying back. Sometimes I cannot believe in myself. (laughs) Can Can I make the payments? But you believed in me long time before I believed in myself. So if you can just feel the trust and the love that the bank placed on you, you feel so loved and appreciative of the student loan and mortgage. So instead of cursing the student loans and the financial system, you can start appreciating them. And then his weight got lifted off and he turned like a different person in five minutes. Wow. And it is an energy shift that 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 one is very contracted right. and it makes it more difficult, right, mm-hmm. to pay it back to, you know, if you're constantly pushing against it. And instead you're saying, thank you. This is amazing. And if you believe in me, well, then maybe I can believe in me. And then I then you have much more openness to see opportunities and, and whatever it is that comes your way that could help you pay that off. Yes. Right? Yes. So it's, again, going back to appreciation. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what is, it's, it's not fighting it and loving it. And I, I had to learn to do that with my taxes, mm-hmm. right? I would write a love letter to the government. Thank you so much, <laughs> right, for letting me pay these taxes. I know my, my friends at the time thought I was cuckoo, but I said this is, it was the way that, because I was afraid, because I had come from a fearful place with money, and it actually helped me have no fear. Let's talk about the concept of money EQ and why it's important for financial success. Let's talk about that. Yes. I've noticed since I started learning from my father, money IQ is not enough. Financial intelligence about tax code and uh, you know how to invest, how to protect. Of course, I learned all those things uh, in my early 20s. But I've also witnessed the most smart people, business people, financially make stupid mistakes like childish. 
you know, he bought a big building. I'm going to buy it too, <laughs> you know, right. to compete or to look good. So the smartest people make stupid mistakes and they, they go bankrupt. And in, in North America, there is a hedge funds run by Nobel Prize laureate in mathematics. And then uh, they came up with the smartest uh, hedge funds, but they lost everything, right? And all the people right. who invested in lost it. And, and quite recently, the big cryptocurrency the, one of the biggest uh, guys just fought, fell, and it turned out to be just a whole scam. You know, right. uh, it was not even investing. So wow. uh, what happened is the smartest people make stupid mistakes because on the strong base of emotional intelligence, you can build a financial fortress. But uh, if you have only financial IQ, you could build a big castle on the sand that could collapse any moment if something happens. Right, right. So the EQ is emotional quotient. Is that what yes. you're saying? Uh-huh. Emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. So can you just give me an example of that? What would you consider an emotionally intelligent, uh, like, or how would you foster emotional intelligence with money? That, that was probably a better okay. question. Yeah. For example, financial IQ person tries to make money uh, more at the shortest time of possible. Right. So that means they drive into uh, speculation and high risk stuff mm-hmm. because that way they can make the most profit. That's what all the uh, uh, hedge funds do. But you are taking a risk of losing a lot too because uh, you're trying to get most out of it. That means you could lose a lot. And so right. uh, the risk is big. But emotional happy people take time to be wealthy. Like my mentor, Hitakeda, he started selling cookies for babies. It, uh, one package, it costs like 30 cents still. So he must be making like one cent per one candy, right? And that, but he sells billions of candies. So that's why he <laughs> built his fortune. And so he's not speculating, you know, he's just based on a strong, solid investment. So every day, like Warren Buffett, he makes little money, by one transaction in a massive way. Uh, one of the richest men in Africa, uh, I heard, is also a candy maker because all the people in Africa eat his candies, you know, it, and it costs something like two cents or th- uh, three cents. You know, it's not like huge thing. <laughs> but if everybody in Africa eats it every day, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah, so Money EQ teaches you how to uh, make people smile. So, because if you keep uh, people uh, smiling, uh, they'll come back to you like a repeat customers. Mm-hmm. I think there's a study done uh, for years. One of the industries that produce many uh, millionaires are dry cleaners uh, because they come back every day. So even if you make uh, 10 cents per shirt, since you're making massive, massive sales, once again, it's like a, a fish market, right? If you sell right. one fish, it's not cost much but if you have a whole market, you can make a fortune out of it. And then uh, since the fortune is made on repeat business, it's going to stay. Your customers and clients will stay royal. So uh, my mentor once said, a fortune is made on a repeat business. That means happy customers. Right. So uh, instead of trying to get the most out of your clients, you give the most out of your clients. And so by doing that, you have a strong trust that means you have a long-term relationship. Like say, if you're uh, if you're investing in hedge funds, sometimes you gain a lot but lose a lot. 
If you lose a lot, you don't want to go back to the place. So uh, that means if you try to take advantage of your clients, you may be able to do a business one time, but if you do, do only one time or twice and have a bad reputation that people uh, lost business with you or uh, money with you, they don't want to come back. Right. So fortune is made on the trust and uh, repeated transactions. That means happy customers. And when you say the same thing, even if let's say you don't have a business, but you work for a company, you work for somebody and like... If you come in with a sense of happiness and mm-hmm. a sense of gratitude, mm-hmm. even if you don't love your job, but you can still do bless it, yes. right? You can still be a blessing. You'll find that good things will happen even in an environment that may not necessarily be where you want to be forever, right. but you can also give yourself more opportunities to go to a better place yeah. by blessing where you are now. Would you say that's a good idea? Yes, it's a good start. But this book right here with me, uh, Give and Take. Mm-hmm. It's by okay. Adam, Adam Grant. Uh, oh, you know, okay. There are givers and takers, and uh, yeah. the givers become most successful. But there are two yeah. kinds of givers. One, true givers. They make sure that everybody wins. Right. The other one is a giver who sacrifices uh, his, his or her life. You know, so, That's no good. Yeah. So if you uh, become a right. giver, but who happens to be doing out of sacrifice, you become the target of cons or you right, or takers. Like a victim. Yeah, takers mm-hmm. um, take you as, take a lot from out of you. So they take advantage of you. So I support giving as much as possible, but make sure everybody wins. Right. If you give out of sacrifice, you just stay as a good person, but no money. I'm sure some of your right. parents are like that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Because if you're giving out of sacrifice, you're a martyr. You can become a martyr and never get anywhere, but you've given and you felt better. I totally understand that. So it is, it's giving out of the sake of, you know, I'm going to do the best that I can and I'll bless this instead of complain, but I can always leave also if if I'm in a position where I end up sacrificing too much because I'm not winning. It's not win-win. Yes. So please make sure that everybody wins. When everybody wins, happy money pours in. Okay, if money were a person, there are several personas it could have. What would your money's personification be? Yes, that is uh, my favorite question to ask people. (laughs) You know, for me, money is like a friendly guy or could be a a woman who always gives me uh, what I want. So uh, for the next three months, I'm going to go around the world three times uh, every month. You know, I happen to do, do that. I, I'm going to speak a few times in Europe and a few times in North America and South America. So I'm going to right. enjoy that. You are going around the world. Yeah. yeah. But uh, if money was uh, my best friend, I just uh, ask my money. Uh, okay, let's say my little cat here, you know, and, right. and said, <laughs> hi, money, can you uh, get me tickets to just London first. And then I talk to this money, actually a Siri on my phone, but you know, and then, <laughs> okay, I'll get it right away. And then my money will just get everything I need. And then all I have to do is get in a car and the uh, airport and get in a plane and then uh, boom, I'm in London. So if money was my best friend, I really appreciate my best friend to arrange everything for me a comfortable ride or comfortable hotel, comfortable everything, uh, and start meeting new people. 
And, and mm-hmm. so um, my life will be more full of joy. So that's what my money is doing. And I hope uh, money becomes something like that for your life too. Right. I love that. Yeah, because I think about it. You talk about the different money archetypes in your book, uh, Happy Money, Mm -hmm. about the way people, their stories that they have and how they spend money, how they have a relationship to money. But I also look at if money had a spirit, because you can learn a lot about how you see it. Mm -hmm. If, for example, like my mom was always afraid, Mm -hmm. you know, so her money as a person would be somebody who would not always give her what she needed or might take it away. And that's exactly what happened. Yes. That's exactly what happened. Yes. An abusive person, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, your past relationship uh, with your money or with your parents or with your life uh, becomes that in money. So you project like terrible things to money. So money could be scary. So you don't want that kind of abusive yeah. person in your house, right? No. So once the abusive person comes into your house, oh, I have to get rid of this abusive person right away. That's why you don't have the money at the end of every month. If you welcome money, because money is such a nice being, you want it to be with, with you as long as you want. Right. But unfortunately, money can be so abusive. And uh, it's a neutral energy. But if you let money to become an abuser, it, it becomes that to you. Yeah, and I know that a lot of people aren't even aware of that because they have this idea. So a person who is born in circumstances that are troublesome for them, how do they get out of their identification with money always being scarce, Mm -hmm. you know, and because they've accepted it because it's either society told them it would be, Mm -hmm. their family told them it would be, where they lived, their circumstances, which they don't have, you know, that was their fate. How could they change that in your, with your philosophy? Mm -hmm. So I recommend you start researching people who started from where you are to uh, uh, financial independence. There are hundreds of thousands of stories who made out of the poverty situation and then became millionaires and billionaires. You don't have to become millionaires and billionaires, but at least you know how to get out from the place, Mm. from the uncomfortable place. You could be a single mom, you could be uh, brought up in a poor community, but there are ways to get out. There are people who offer you help. So if you're sincere about the support and the path, you can get out. The, the deeper problem is that you don't even want to give it a try. You already give, mm. You've already given up. So if you um, viewing this and you're on the on the verge of giving up, you know mm. I'm just uh, suggesting there could be another way. And if you just interested in it, you can find them on the internet. Yeah, especially now you can find things on the internet, right? right. And I do think going back to the concept of storytelling and that we're all stories is one of the things I teach in my school is that we're stories in motion. We're always Mm. evolving and our stories can change. They don't Mm -hmm. have to stay the same all the time, but that the idea that we can learn from stories and there are so many stories of people who have come out of difficult situations and have moved beyond even when it appears that nothing is possible for them. So I, I like that. That's a great suggestion. It's like, just go go look and see because we can model ourselves. Once we've seen it, we can create it. Mm-hmm. You know, and if, if we can imagine it, it can be created. It's just having the fortitude, I think, and the strength to actually do it. Yes. 
Can you share some success stories from readers who applied the principles of happy money in their lives? Because I know you have tons of stories. So what, what are you some of your favorite ones? Yeah. Do we have 10 more hours, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, one of my favorite stories is a single mom uh, who worked as a secretary at a, a very low wage. And um, she was a high school graduate. She didn't go to college. So she was complaining about her education and her boss paying her so little. Mm-hmm. And he never said thank you in his entire career. So I, I suggested her, okay, you seem to be you know, um, complaining about him, but I understand that he never thanked you for that. But have you ever thanked him for the job? And she said, oh my God, I've never thought of that. Is there anything, even one thing that you can appreciate him for? And she said, mm, nothing. But after a minute, she kind of squeezed out one thing. Okay, I got, <laughs> okay, I found one thing. He hired me, even though I was not a college uh, a graduate. And she started thinking deeply, oh, because of him, I'm sending my uh, kids to school. Because of him, I can bring food on the table. And so suddenly it's uh, the whole domino effect that she started appreciating things in her life. So uh, a few days later, she wrote a thank you note to him that he's uh, keeping her. And in a matter of weeks, he started saying thank you to her, which shocked her almost like heart attack. And then (laughs) she got a big raise and a big bonus. So he realized her thank you opened the door and also he forgot to thank her back. So uh, all these years, he forgot to thank her for not being able to pay her, for not uh, giving her raise. So she got a raise and a big bonus at the same time. That's so good. So Yes, appreciation really works. And you don't have to uh, send him expensive gifts. All all she did is uh, give him her appreciation. Oh, I just love that story. Oh, okay, so this has been a great conversation. How about we pull an oracle card together mm-hmm. to see if there's anything else that we could talk about? Would that be okay? Beautiful. Yes. This yes. is my new oracle card deck with uh, also a Japanese, he's Japanese-American, beautiful artist named Joel Nakamura. And this is coming out in August in Japan. Wow. Um, yes, I'm very oh, happy. I'm going to gift people, you know. I, I have uh, thousands Thank of you. people on my online salon. So I'm going to, uh, every month I'm going to give something. So uh, for All right. the gift of August, I decided to give that. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So um, here we go. Let us ask, what do we need to know to, to go a little bit more deeper or to conclude our wonderful conversation with Ken Honda today? And I'm going to pull the card now. Oh, this is really good. So it's called When a Witch Must Drink Their Brew. Wow. Here is... The card, mm-hmm. and I'm going to read it. Yes, I'm please. going to read it, and then we'll talk about what it means to our conversation. Okay, so here's what it says Being unapologetically comfortable in who you are, trusting and knowing your own magic, mm-hmm. being authentic and inspired, the courage to own your values and who you are, not succumbing to the spell of society. 
So uh, what I take from that, I mean, there's more, I I won't read the whole card, but I I really see how this relates to, you know, to what you were talking about, because the truth is, is that within us is the capacity for magic and miracles. Because when we say thank you, when we practice arigato money or, or happy money, and when we are in that flow of praise and, and we really appreciate that is we unleash an incredible power Mm -hmm. to manifest the things that we really desire, but we didn't have to actually work hard to get it. Well, and not to say that we don't work hard, right? But it's like, it happens as a result of the praise and the, right? Rather than us running around the way society says we need to hustle or work over hard, work hard, or it won't be worth it, or any of those ideas that we were given by other people. What do you think? Yes, yes. I, I agree with you hundred percent. I was just enjoying your energy and I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just struck by the power of this deck of cards. So thank you. Yeah. I got like a, I got a little dizzy, you know, because it's such a pop. <laughs> powerful energy. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. I have loved having this conversation with you. So to learn more about Ken Honda, his books, his courses, and all of his offerings, please head on over to KenHonda.com. And as always, you can find a transcript of this episode, quotes, all of the links, and so much more on our show notes page. So go to ITWpodcast.com or click the link in this episode's description. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you. Thank you. So what did we learn today? Well, I tell you, I love Ken Honda. I met him at the Transformational Leadership Council, fell in love with him. He's the most humble, kind, generous, amazing human. And I love the fact that he teaches through very simple stories so that we can learn from that. You know, he makes such complicated things very, very easy to learn and implement. So what we learned today, I think, was all about the spirit of appreciation and how thank you how just those words to thank and appreciate, first of all, your money, but it's more than money. Even though, you know, his book is called Happy Money and he talks about money and he talks about all of the ways in which we can improve our financial life. It's really about life, isn't it? It's about life in general. Can we say thank you and appreciate any part of our life today? And maybe then that could grow and then grow into something that would impact the world. Until next time, I'm Colette Baron-Reed. Be well. Time to share the way we love. Become the ones we're dreaming of. Inside the Universe is a production of Universal Network Studios. A special thanks to our recording engineer, Chris Dupuy, executive producer, Connie Deletti story editor Julie Fink, and audio post-production by Lonnie Carmichael. Original theme music written and performed by Michael Seifert at Summa Recording. Original music Truth Begins is by Colette Baron-Reed and Eric Ross. And all other music is courtesy of APM Music. Keep up to date on episode releases, giveaways, and special offers by signing up for Colette's newsletter at itwpodcast.com forward slash newsletter. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you join us next time for another episode of Inside the Wooniverse, a podcast brought to you from the corner of Fringe and Maine.